Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Green. It was so great seeing so many of you in New York the last few weeks. I had some great conversations with a lot of you about the art world and the art market. Thanks so much again for all of your support and for listening to the podcast. With the countless auctions, the gallery shows all over the city, and by my count, five art fairs, it really is incredible just how much art was on view in New York. Of course, the biggest barometer for the art market is the major auctions, and we did witness some softening in the market, more so perhaps than at any time since the pandemic began. With the longest anticipated recession still forthcoming, as well as rising prices on the primary market, and just a lot of art having been acquired by collectors over the past few years, I think some collectors are starting to slow down and become more discerning, which maybe isn't necessarily a bad thing. It'll be interesting to see how the remainder of the year plays out. In this week's episode, we're joined by Judd Tully, an independent arts journalist who contributes regularly to the art newspaper. Judd joins us to help recap the past week's auctions in New York and make sense of everything that transpired. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks so much for listening. Judd, it's great having you on. Yeah, pleasure, Adam. Absolutely. Well, it was a very fascinating auction season. I think we witnessed some significant softening in the art market, perhaps for the first time since the pandemic started. Help us put last week's New York auctions in perspective. Just how much softening did we see? What should the takeaways be from the sales? I mean, first off, I mean, there was uh, such a, if you want to call it an avalanche of material from modern, contemporary, very recent work. Um, Of course, at all the auction houses. I mean, what struck me the most, and um, I think a lot of people were surprised, uh, was the um, single owner sale at Christie's of the... um, Gerald Feinberg collection that was, um, I think it was like, you know, art of the century um, designation. And this was a, you know, very well-known Boston-based real estate developer, hotel developer, um, long in the market. And so his estate was selling And um, oddly, I mean, to me, I mean, incredibly, it came to market so-called naked. There were no guarantees, no third parties. It was strictly what the market would bear. And based on the um, expectations, which was, um, I jotted this down, from low to high was 163 to 235 million. And it brought in, it hammered all toll at 124.7 million. And it's not that things didn't sell, they just went for at times close to uh, half of what the low estimates were. So there were some gasps in the room when things continue to sell. And um, I think it, it, 
it could be perhaps his taste in that it's not that it's conservative, um, but um, it's uh, there were several journalists that covered the, that had never been to a sale like that. And um, I don't know if that set a precedent or it gave Sotheby's the next night a chance to tell their consigners, you better drop your reserves or else, you know, you're going to be in trouble. But that was the only um, uh, example of most of the other auctions were uh, populated with either third-party guarantees or house guarantees. So basically, things were pretty much covered. And, um, you know, in terms of just softening of the market, it's certainly the case from six months ago. But I mean, my sense is that possibly, I mean, it always eventually happens even to the art market, that world events, economies, um, you know, rising interest rates, etc. headlines about bank failures. Uh, it does have an impact and sobering um, sort of uh, not a malaise really, but um, it's not as bubbly. It's not as fizzy. And yet, you know, some certainly huge prices were realized. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, it's, it would be hard to say that um, <clears throat> it was a disaster. I think it's more like, even pushing to, is it a correction? We'll see, you know, down the line in November, what happens, what comes up, who's who's uh, selling. But, you know, in a season like this might give pause to potential consigners when they're not estate driven and they have to sell because they have to pay estate taxes or whatever, um, or, you know, these sort of... Um, emergency, you know, um, situations where people need to raise money. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be totally gloom and doom about it. Um, but I think there's a more of an awareness in the market that just, you know, if you just throw it out, it doesn't necessarily have to sell. Or if it sells, it might you know, it might go to that third-party bidder who's got a financial interest um, or, you know, and the like. And I think also, um, and this is always, you know, as the market post-pandemic, post, um, you know, people getting back uh, into some kind of groove, I think there's a bit more, a bit more, um, maybe uh, if you want to call it, uh, smartening of different collectors being more picky. Um, but again, just, you know, uh, like a tsunami of material. Um, I mean, w w one perhaps good indication of, um, and the sale did fine, um, but it was Sotheby's now evening auction that kicked off their contemporary 
And, you know, that's usually where the, you know, half of the lots would be just very young or less seasoned uh, in the auction world artists that would get five times what the low estimates would be. And it was, um, that was the case for some of the works, but there was, um, um, and one of the major lots that a Nara painting was withdrawn at the 11th hour and that had a 12 to $18 million estimate. So, I mean, it's, it's just, um, you know, you can't, um, the, the, the other, I think, pretty notable thing, which has been going on now for several seasons. And I don't even know the best way to describe it, but um, certainly artists of color and women artists, again, there was a lot of intense bidding on certain lots. And, you know, not that you're, you know, making those descriptions like somebody's from, you know, Serbia or something like that. But, um, you know, it's it, it's it's pretty evident um, that there's a, a kind of catch up, um, like catching up moment in the market. You see it in museums, you see it in galleries in terms of representation. And, you know, and that's, you know, it's a great thing. Um, but the, um, you know, the top lot at, um, at, again, this now evening auction was the Carrie James Marshall piece, uh, untitled work called Mask Boy. Um, and while I'm just jumping around, um, uh, the uh, top lot, and it was actually the most expensive work, I believe, of the two weeks, was at um, Christie's uh, 21st, 21st century evening sale. And that was a, a Basquiat painting um that came in at um 58 million hammer uh 67.1 million with fees and it was a painting from 1983 um called um el grand expect well i can't pronounce it anyway um uh the nile um and um so that you know was a, it made more than a Gustave Klimt ma- uh, painting. It made more than a, a Henri Rousseau painting. Um, and more interestingly to me, uh, it was last offered at auction back at Sotheby's New York in November uh, two thousand and five. So that's quite a while ago. But it made at that time. 4.6 million. So it's a significant appreciation and it, and it shows, um, you know, in a, in a part where that market is gone and it came, the painting was consigned. Um, well, it didn't say, but it was to benefit the Academia Valentino, which is um, the Italian, uh, uh, designer Valentino, that's um, who most likely acquired it back at Sotheby's. <clears throat> yeah, I think you raised a lot of great points about where the market is at the moment. Potentially, we have seen a correction. 
I agree buyers are being more discerning. They're pursuing very nice examples by artists. Look, they bought a lot of art over the last few years. And from the consigner side of things, we saw withdrawn lots just prior to the sale, meaning the consigners were unhappy with the lack of registered interest. And so they just pulled it. And then on the other side of things, you saw some artwork sell well below the estimate, which I think was because consigners reduced the reserve just prior to the sale because of lack of interest, but they chose to sell now at a discount rather than wait perhaps for the next auction season when things could be even softer. So if we dig deeper into the auctions, I'm curious from your perspective, were there weaker results across the board or did certain types of art and at different price points perform better than others? I would, I, I believe that um, it just depends on the work of art that's being offered and whatever period, um, whatever the provenance, whatever the background of it, um, I think, you know, will determine more or less <clears throat> its fate. I, I, I'm, I would be hard pressed apart from say, um, you know, certain artists, I don't know, just throwing a name out uh, that were some seasons past were sort of, you know, really very hotly contested, et cetera, et cetera. But someone like um, uh, um, uh, Stingle, maybe that market is softening. Um, but, I, you know, it's, it's, I really don't think there's, uh, any particular sector is hurting. Um, and I think the auction houses, and they, and this was spoken up at after the Christie sale of the uh, Feinberg, where you know people were asking, like, you know, what happened? And they pointed out, and maybe it's just, you know, um a kind of uh uh a good way to spin it, but these estimates were set basically six months ago and it was a different climate. And that's what they go by in terms of, you know, what the last sale did and, you know, let's see what happens. Um, so six months from now, I'm very sure in November that estimates will be adjusted and um, perhaps, you know, if it's not an estate sale, maybe there'll be, you know, fewer, fewer collectors risking um, their works at auction. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And it touches on what you said earlier about the Feinberg estate that had no guarantees. It was more of an unmasked or a naked sale. The work sold for what the free market was willing to pay at the time of the auction. And sure, if you do that, you get all the upside and you don't have to share it with any guarantors. But the risk, of course, is that these decisions to sell, the estimates, these are all set months before the auctions. And if the sentiment or economic climate changes during that lead time up to the auction, you don't have anyone to bail you out. Yeah. And if you were, um, you know, looking at the bright side of things, those buyers at the Feinberg sale made some amazing acquisitions in terms of expectations. So, um, uh, you know, that might inspire someone. Um, so, yeah, uh, um, you know, 
there was a big uh, there was a Picasso um, that bought in at uh, Christie's, a highly you know high estimate Picasso, but you know Jacques Medi, Gustave Klimt, Vincent Van Gogh, uh, you know Monet, um, a Gauguin. I mean, there were you know the market is alive. I mean, I just don't know quite how well it is. And so as we digest these auction results and try to understand exactly why things played out as they did, I know you're speaking to a lot of insiders during and after the sales. Are there a few things they're pointing towards as to why we witnessed this softening in the market for really the first time since the first few months of the pandemic? I don't think there was any great surprise among observers or uh, pundits um, in terms of, you know, the reality sandwich of higher interest rates and, um, you know, just kind of unease about, you know, the whole, you know, global world situation um, that, even though the you know war in the Ukraine is still going on after over a year, um, <clears throat> uh, you know it's it's. Um, <clears throat> I mean, for instance, I didn't notice really. There was quite a bit of Asian bidding, and <clears throat> I think that accounted for uh, a considerable percentage of of the t high higher price lots so that's i'm sure making the auction houses feel you know a little bit uh uh confident that that sector hasn't you know fallen away um but um i don't think anyone would you know would register you know dismay at, at at the results i think it was sort of in a way as to be expected and i think um generally a relief that you know they kind of got by and also with the increased you know buyer's premium and added on um bits the auction houses are you know uh scooping up a few more bucks to keep them going keep the machine running smoothly I, <laughs> on I a global plane <laughs> i noticed yeah. that they yeah they like to tick up one percent here or there every, every yeah. so often and, yeah uh, yeah it's extraordinary really <laughs> it really is so as a veteran art journalist, you've witnessed several market cycles. Obviously, you're not a fortune teller, but do you have any sense as to what comes next, usually after a soft sales season like we just experienced? For sure, sellers are going to be, um, I think, more cautious coming into the fall, especially those um, holding you know, high-value um, works. Uh, if they're not being pressured economically to, you know, change over to sell, um, I think it'll be a, a harder 
sourcing season. And I know that this past season from different auction house people across the board, from Phillips to Christie's to Sotheby's, had a it was a hard slog getting getting material. Um and um you know it's it's um you know it, when um in 2009 right after the crash of the fall of 2008 um there was uh, the auction houses lost tons of money because they had put in guarantees again you know before the market um had its big correction and um and that had a big impact on their outlook going forward in other words that's when third-party guarantees really accelerated and the auction houses stepped back from just putting out tens of millions of dollars in standalone house guarantees and going further back um because i could go quite far back in the you know 19 after the big big boom of the late 80s and 1990 and then in 1991 it the market cratered and um in a much more significant way than anything that we've seen just recently so i think it's you know it's a different ball game really now i mean it's it's um it's very precise in terms of um the way the houses choreograph their sales and maybe there'll be less material and it's just dependent on the states like you know the sign new i mean that's another good example actually uh this last round the masterpieces from the Cy, uh Newhouse collection um that was at Christie's it it, it did okay uh, but you know there weren't any fireworks and um and you'd think with you know the lineup of uh, blue chip names uh it was uh pretty like mediocre I think that historical perspective you shared is really interesting. I remember third-party guarantees really taking off as auction houses didn't want to carry the risk of guarantees themselves in case the economy shifted suddenly and they were holding on to these guarantees that didn't really make sense anymore with the market. And the third-party guarantor space is really quite opaque. You have different parties involved with different motivations. You have some collectors, you have some dealers, you have some investors. But given this auction season, I'm interested to see, just like we saw the auction houses reduce their guarantee exposure in 2009, if third-party guarantors will also be less active this next auction season. And if that's the case, does that translate into less art for sale in the auctions? So that'll definitely be something that we'll be monitoring. So looking forward, what are a few of the next major events in the art world you'll be observing to see how the market performs? Well, I mean, the big the big uh, next thing um, after the art fairs here, Freeze, uh, New York, um, the Independent Fair, these, I mean, smaller scale, 
um, will be in June at Art Basel. And um, the, you know, the granddaddy of the big fairs. Um, of course, there are going to be sales, more auction sales in London. Um, and that's going to be a hard act to follow. Um, but um, I mean, it's it's remarkable in terms of, you know, the, the just the, um, you know, the Christie's and Sotheby's like having these double header sales, like two different category sales on a single night and um, single owner sales on another night. I mean, it's, it's, um, uh, you know, there's, it's pretty crowded. And I think there's a sort of um, that sort of has that possibility of causing just kind of fatigue of just trying to, you know, kind of get a sense of all of it. Judd, thanks so much again for coming on to the podcast and helping us make sense of all of the auctions that occur in these past few weeks in New York. If our listeners don't already, they should make sure to read Judd's writings in the art newspaper and wherever else you're publishing. You can also check out Judd's website where you can see all of his writings and everything else he's up to. That's juddtoley.net. And uh, yeah, where can we find you on social media? Um, well, not so much, but okay. at Judd Tully. But if I could make one plug yes, please. for my um, documentary film, The Melt Goes On Forever, The Art and Times of David Hammonds is playing at its final week now at uh, Film Forum in Soho. And we'll be moving on to uh, Santa Monica on June 2nd. And that's a documentary film about the... Uh, great artist, Mr. Hammonds. Absolutely. Well, we'd love to have you back on the podcast in the future to really talk more in depth about Hammonds' career and the documentary and his life. Such a important and mysterious artist. Judd, thanks so much again for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Adam.